ingratitude, the most popular sin of humanity. Ingratitude is forgetfulness of the heart. It is the revelation of the emptiness of pretended loyalty. The individual who possesses it finds it is the shortest cut to all other vices. Ingratitude is a crime more more despicable than revenge, which is only returning evil for evil, while ingratitude returns evil for good. Gratitude is thankfulness expressed in action. It is the instinctive radiation of justice, giving new life and energy to the individual from whom it emanates. It is the heart's recognition of kindness that the lips cannot repay. Gratitude never counts its payments. It realizes that no debt of kindness can ever be outlawed, ever be canceled, ever be paid in full. Gratitude ever feels the insignificance of its installments. Ingratitude, the nothingness of the debt. Gratitude is the flowering of a seed of kindness. Ingratitude is the dead inactivity of a seed dropped on a stone. William George Jordan, 1902. Colossians 4. I thought at first we would be taking a break from Colossians to focus on Thanksgiving, but God's timing is good. Amen? He always seems to work it out as we're walking through passages of Scripture. We are in Colossians chapter 4, and the next verse in the series says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of, what's the word? Thanksgiving. An attitude of thanksgiving. It's a summary statement of all that he's been saying and challenging us generally to our relationships and specifically in relationships. All that he's been challenging us to, he summarizes with the statement, you better be praying. And as you pray, pray with this attitude, an attitude of thankfulness. It's not the first time he's mentioned the word, isn't it? I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago in the worship and prayer blurb in your bulletin to take note of how many times thankfulness is pointed out by the Apostle Paul to the Colossians. If you just go back alone to chapter 3, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Verse 17, whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving, what's the word? Thanks through him to God the Father. The attitude, the principle of thankfulness permeates Uh, the letter to the Colossians. And if you were to make a study of it in the New Testament, you would find that thankfulness is a key attitude over and over and over. A lot of times I think we just kind of pass by it. We kind of go over it when we're reading Scripture just because it's so so cliche almost. It almost seems like a trivial principle. But I think the fact that it's there so much says something about it, doesn't it? The frequency of the attitude put forth in Scripture throughout Scripture, from Old to New Testament, that that teaches us, that admonishes us, be thankful, be thankful, as he's teaching this, be thankful, as he's teaching something else, be thankful, as we're going into study about this, remember to be thankful. It's, It's just always there. I think there's something to it. I think there's something to it. I think the lack of it, ingratitude, not being thankful, is probably just as telling about us in humanity, isn't it? How many of you have someone who is just generally not a thankful person in life? They're they're probably a more negative person. 
Gratitude is not their forte. In fact, they major in life in ingratitude. Anybody want to be around that guy? I know when I find it in my own self, I don't even want to be around myself. And I find it, I find it way, way too often. I don't know about you. I've got a bunch of notes here, but um, I think you guys, you guys preached a sermon in them, in them themselves through your prayers, and I thank you for that. I want to give you, I want to give you a, a story in the life of Jesus. Turn to Luke 17 if you have your Bible. If not, you can grab one underneath the chair around you or just follow along on the screen. But if you have your Bible, turn to it because I want you to see it in your own scripture. I've told you before, you can't take the screen home, so bring your Bible. The screen won't fit under the back seat of your car where you normally put your Bible, right? When you leave. I'm just kidding. Luke 17, there's a story in the life of Jesus, a true story. And it's a story, as far as I know, of the only time Jesus asks a question and the question doesn't get answered. It doesn't get answered by those who are involved in the story and it doesn't get answered even by Jesus. And a lot of times, I think most of the time, Jesus would ask questions in a teaching manner and then he would follow them up with answers. If everyone was dumbfounded, you know, he'd come along and he'd say, well, let me tell you what, I'm, what I mean by that. He'd tell a story or give, a, give an analogy or an illustration, and then he'd come back and say, you don't get it, so let me explain it to you. This is one of those times, I think, I think there are very few, this may be the only one, where Jesus asks a question and there, there is no one to answer that question and he doesn't give an answer to it. I think it's kind of one of those rhetorical questions, maybe. Uh, unfortunately, it's a scary rhetorical question. But maybe it's, it's worthwhile for this morning. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, verse 11 says, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Galilee would be where the Jews would live in general terms. Samaria would be a place where uh, Jews and Assyrians who had intermarried, uh, they were Samarians, that's where they lived. And so they were considered half-breeds in a sense. They were looked down upon by the Jews. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And lepers would do that. They would stand at a distance. But when Jesus came, it's as if they, they flocked to him. And they raised their voices, saying, they didn't get too close, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So they recognized who he was. They, they had heard of his fame. And when he, Jesus, saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And notice he doesn't do anything. He just pronounces their healing. When he says, go and show yourselves to the priest, that's what you would do. If you, if you felt like you were healed, you had to go to the priest and you had to, you had to talk to the priest and the priest would pronounce you healed or not. They'd say, okay, you're good to go. You can enter back into society. You don't have to remain separate from everyone else because of your leprosy. And so Jesus just says to them, hey, go, go show yourself to the priest. And so what he's saying is, you're good. Just like that. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Many lessons in this story. I haven't gotten to ours yet. Verse 15. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back. You may want to circle those two words. Turned back. Glorifying God with a loud voice. I like to picture scripture in my mind. I don't know if you do that when you're reading. But this is a, this is a great moment. This is a great moment. Ten men healed. 
They recognize it on their way. They haven't even made it to the priest yet by all accounts. One of the guys looks down and he realizes what's happened and he, and he turns back. And you get the idea that he doesn't, even, he doesn't even take a step back, but he just looks back in the direction of the one who has healed him. And, and you get this, this shout, it seems, of glory to God with a loud Monday night football in the stands cheering for your favorite team voice. Not the, not the calm, tame, embarrassed, don't want to ruffle any feathers voices we typically use in this room. But it was a, it was a loud voice. I was a little bit worried about you guys when I encouraged you. I admonished you at the beginning. Let go of your chair. Come on up. This, this is a week of Thanksgiving. Let's, let's steal this week for the glory of the Lord. Come on up. Use the mic. And a few of you did. And I, I'm so proud of you. I was afraid no one was going to come because today's message would have been even worse for you. So I'm not being hard, but let's be honest. What, what keeps you? What kept you from, from turning back and giving glory to God this morning with a loud voice? Verse 16. He didn't just shout. Look at what he does. And he fell on his face. At his feet. So at this point, he's made it back to Jesus' feet. And he gave what? He gave thanks to him. I think, I think the ideas of giving glory and giving thanks are hand in hand, if not synonymous. To give God glory is another way of saying you give him thanks. The word glory, if I'm not mistaken, has, a, has an idea of uh, it's related to the word light. Is that right, Seth? Do you remember that? The word, the word glory has this idea of light to it. And weight as well, yeah. In regards to, in regards to light, the word, the word glory, it's kind of this idea that when you give glory to something, you shed light upon it. You reflect, you reflect the spotlight onto it. That's, what it. that's what it is to give thanks, isn't it? It's to point to, to what you're thankful for and to, to shed light on it and to give glory to it. This is what he does. Giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not? Weren't there ten of you guys? And so we go from a glorious moment to one of the saddest statements in all of Scripture, I think. The Lord of all creation, the Savior of the world, heals at just the request. He didn't ask for any money. He didn't ask for any reasoning. He didn't ask for uh, a week long of prayer. He didn't ask them to fast. He didn't ask them to do anything special. Go show yourself cleansed to the priests. You're good. On the way, they noticed it. And here, here the Lord of all creation, the great physician of our souls, much less our flesh, stands and only one turns back with gratitude. Only one shines the light on the source. Only one gives glory. And the Savior of the universe, the healer of all men, stands and he, he has a question to ask. And no one can answer it. And he doesn't even answer it. He just leaves it. He leaves it to hang. To be a weight on our shoulders. Weren't there ten? But the nine, where are they? Where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this 
foreigner, except this could be translated alien. This one was a Samaritan. The assumption is that all the other guys were, were Jews, just like Jesus. They were of the chosen nation. They were, they were children of God. And this Samaritan, this alien, is the only one that notices. The only one that recognizes to such a degree what has just happened. The only one that feels the weight of the glory of the moment and turns back and casts light on the one who it is due. Only one. Why is this? I read a couple commentaries, and most scholars believe that here is the reason. The Samaritan knew very well his division from the Lord. He knew very well his place in society. He knew very well that he was not of the chosen race. He knew very well from all of society who he was, and he knew who he wasn't. Most believe that the other nine went on their way, glad to be healed, but with no real thankfulness because there was most likely this attitude of expectation. Not a good expectation, but this expectation that they were owed something. Not an attitude of gratitude, but an attitude of Entitlement. But the guy who knew he was sick, the guy who knew he was dying, the best, the most clearly, turned around and went back. With a loud voice gave glory, fell on his face at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is left wondering, where are the others? Um, where do I want to go with this this morning? I could go in a hundred different directions. And our kids, as the last Sunday of the month, our kids are here. So I want to talk to our kids a little bit. And kids, don't worry, because usually as I'm talking to you, I'm really talking to the adults, right? So um, be warned, parents. It's been said that the parent of all virtue is gratitude. I think it was Cicero who's given credit for that statement. The parent of all virtue, of all good things in our character, or all, on all good character traits, the parent, the impetus, the start, the foundation of it. If you want all the other good stuff about a character that is worthy of noting, the base place to start, in other words, is gratitude. It could be said, conversely, that the parent of all vice is ingratitude. When there is no appreciation... If you think about it, there becomes no, no recognition of authority. When there is no recognition of authority, then you lose all accountability. Someone who is, is lacking in gratitude senses no debt to the one who has blessed them. Senses no debt to the one who has provided for them. And therefore, there is no gratitude. And so the, the one who is above them, the one who has authority above them, has been robbed of their position and their power and their authority, haven't they? And so once there is now no person in that position of authority, guess what else goes? Any accountability, because there is no authority to be accountable to. Um, kids, if I were going to say one thing that I want you to, to get from this story this morning, here it is. So kids, listen. 
If you want to be a great grown-up, if you want to be a, a great man, little boys, if you want to be a great woman, little girls, I would ask you today to focus on one thing. If nothing else, today's lesson is one thing. Cultivate, cultivate, which means I'm probably using a too big of a word here, kids, right? Yeah. Work on, focus on, try to be as best you can be at being thankful. If you become a thankful little boy, you will become, I believe, a great man. If you become a thankful little girl and you work on that and you decide that you're going to be thankful your whole life, I think it goes hand in hand that you will become a great little girl and then a young woman and then a woman. Let me put it a different way for the parents. If you only raise grateful kids, you will raise great kids. Now, I don't know about you, but as a parent, Kimberly and I are always wondering, what can we do just to to get this thing right? We struggle. We're trying to figure it out, and there's so much about it, and it's so complicated. And those of you who are just having kids, you'll figure it out. And those of you who have got grown kids, you're laughing at us with younger kids, right? Not because you figured it out, because you know how hard it is. I went and saw Andy and Allison at the hospital, and I laughed when I got there, just because it's hard. I make fun of Heath every time I come on Sundays, having twins. I know, that's got to have to be hard. There's just something about us that we enjoy looking back as we get a little further because we know how hard it is, all right? So we all get that, right? It's a difficult job. I don't know about you, but I, I, I just like to hold on to like nuggets here and there. And the one thing that Kimberly and I have clung to uh, above anything else is, you know, we, we, we feel like we go wrong in a whole lot of different ways. But one thing we just focus on over and over, we're going to love our boys to death. And, and we think that loving them to death as, as, as well as we can, loving them, will cover up a whole lot of other stuff. That's what we're hoping for. And I think that's true. And I think, I think this is going to be my next, my next thing to cling to for, for my family and for my boys and for Kimberly and I to work on. And it is this, that if we can raise grateful young men, we'll have, we'll have great men. You don't, know any, you don't know any truly grateful or thankful grown-ups out there that are bad guys, do you? Uh, I, heard a, I heard a story about a guy. There, apparently there's a, um, there's a defense attorney. If Andy was here, I'd ask him. But there, supposedly there's a defense attorney who specializes in the worst guys and the worst of the worst on death row. And at the time that I heard about it, he had gotten off some 78... Uh, criminals off a death row and he admitted not all of them are necessarily innocent but that that was his job and he was good at it and so he was called to it over and over and over again and so he had this he had this this high rate of being able to get these guys off imagine 78 guys he got off a death row some of the worst of the worst it was interesting when he was interviewed he said that you know if i had to tie all these guys together he says there's one thing that stands out in my mind is that i've never gotten a thank you card from any one of them And I think he's saying something that's, that's bigger than just being funny. 
I think there's a principle in gratitude that God would have us cling to as parents that is invaluable. I think that I think, and I think this is a word from the Lord. And you follow up, you read on it, you pray on it. But I, but as for me and my family, I, I think Kimberly and I have gotten far enough along that that our next thing to focus on, right alongside of loving our kids as best we can, and hoping that love covers a multitude of our own sins, we've got to focus on figuring out how to raise grateful little boys. How many of you parents? Have, have started getting into this struggle. Your kids are old enough, you're starting to realize that all the good things that you've given your children, it's hard to make them grateful. You take them to restaurants three and four times a week, and, and you're thinking, I only went to a restaurant like once a year when I was a kid. But it's nothing to them. You think about all the things you're about to buy them for Christmas, or you buy them for their birthdays, and you're starting to wonder yourself, am I doing, am I doing all the right things here? And your heart as a parent is to love them as best you can, to give them all that you can give them, and you're blessed, and, and we've gotten so much in our world, and, and the majority of us on average here at Cornerstone are doing well enough to be able to bless our kids and to, and to lavish our love upon them with gifts and, and trips and, and, and stuff. But I don't know, parents, if you haven't already started fighting this battle, start right here, start right now. You you better figure it out. What are you going to do to build gratitude into your little boys and little girls? Because little boys and little girls who who are not grateful, who are not thankful now, don't become the best of our society as grown ups. They become the parts of society that we tend to avoid. We don't like. Grown-ups who aren't thankful, who aren't grateful. Why? Because grateful men and women have no sense of authority. Grateful men and women have no sense of accountability past that authority. When you get rid of the authority, because where do they get what they get? They, they deserve it. They're entitled to it. It's not because someone above them has blessed them. We build into our character this idea that we deserve it. It's what we should have. It's what we should get. It's the way things should be. And so then instead of respecting that authority who, who lavishes their, their blessings upon us, well, they're, they're brought down a notch. That's what they're supposed to do. When they don't do it, guess what? We get mad at them. When the blessings get cut off, I'm entitled to that. And so it snowballs. Great men and women, I think, are always going to be grateful men and women. My character, as I think back on my childhood, my character, now with years of wisdom, my character was shaped more by the things I didn't have than by the things I did have. How many of you would say that's true? Nobody ever talks about all the stuff they had and what kind of persons that, that's made them. I mean... I. I can't, uh, the, the things that my parents were able to do for me, um, material-wise, like those things came and went, and, and I forgot them for the next thing. But you know what I remember? Uh, I remember probably a lot of the same stuff my brother would remember. I remember driving in a car that you could see the road going by underneath your feet and hating it and being embarrassed to be dropped off at school. Mom, just drop me off here. I know it's a mile walk, but I, I'm, I'll be good. Um, I remember going to school with pants that were three, four inches too short. I remember going to school with my brother's shoes that were probably a size 12 when I was a size 7. And putting a whole bunch of that white, you know, pasty stuff all over them so nobody would notice. And it stunk then, didn't it, guys? 
who went through that kind of thing, it stunk. I hated it. But as I look back, I've got to be honest and tell you, those are the things that shaped my character in a more positive way than probably any of the things that they, they were able to give me. There's something about that, right? Parents, we've got to figure out. We've got to figure it out. How is it that we can make kids who are the one who turns back and gives glory to the one who is providing such blessings and doesn't just go on about their life without even turning back? How do we build into our kids that they become the one who turns back and runs back and falls on their face and gets it? That guy becomes a great man. That woman becomes a great human in society. If you're not fighting that battle already, parents, you better, you better, start, you better start praying about it, figuring it out. I think we have a short window to really make a difference. And I, I'll just tell you, Kimberly and I, we don't know. We don't know all the secrets to how that gets done. I just, I'm, I'm figuring out. I think it's from the Lord that He's saying, you better, you better work on it. You all know the passage of Scripture that says, "Spare the rod, spoil the child." I think there's more to that principle than just discipline. Certainly, it's about discipline. But I think discipline, in its purest sense, is not just about the physical aspect, but it's about what what kind of character we build into our children. I think it's more than just discipline. I think it, I think it means that when we, when we take away anything that would be harsh, when we take away anything that would be painful, when we take away anything that would be difficult in the life of our children, when we spare them that discipline, right, then we end up spoiling the child. And so if my, if my sons, and, and I say this with all intent of them hearing this today very well, Corbin, if my sons never, never have to deal with those awkward moments when they don't have the best stuff, then do they have the opportunity for their character to be built in that area? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, parents, you have every capability of giving your kids everything that they might want or desire. But you've got to ask yourself, is that, is that the best way to build their character? To build that attitude of thankfulness and gratitude in them. That is a godly characteristic, by the way. It might just be that we have to withhold some of our blessings. Imagine that. That we might have to withhold some of our blessings, parents, in order to intentionally shape the lives and the character of our children. All right, so kids, let me repeat my challenge to you. Do your best. Do your best to be grateful little boys and little girls. Do your best to say thank you when someone gives you something. Do your best to understand that they don't have to give you the things they give you. Do your best to understand you don't have a job yet. And you didn't buy the milk and you didn't buy the cereal and you didn't buy the clothes and you didn't buy whatever it is that's in your house. Do your best, children, to understand that there is someone above you that supplies all of your blessings and you need to have an attitude of gratitude towards them, then you need to say thanks. You need to turn back and with a loud voice every now and then give glory to the one above you because there is someone above you that blesses you. If you don't, guess what? You are saying that there is no one above you that deserves a thanks. But there is. And eventually you, you become someone who is not going to be grateful and you won't be accountable, and you're going to do whatever you want to do in life. That doesn't work out well. Kids, work on being grateful. Okay? 
Um, parents, you work on figuring out how to teach it. All right, so now that's my, that's my parent to kid and kid to parent lesson. But there's another lesson here. That was the easy one, maybe. Because just like we moms and dads, and I think you get this, if you're a parent, you've been a parent, you'll figure it out if you're about to be a parent. We struggle with, we want to give our kids so much. We want to bless them with all the things that we don't, we didn't have necessarily. We don't want them to go through some of the embarrassing things that we went through wearing the name, non-name brand stuff and all, all that. I get it. We, we, want to, we want our kids to have fun and we want them to be blessed and we want them to enjoy things that we didn't get to enjoy. We want to do all those things, right? And, and so then we, we, we have that, but then at the same time we have this struggle. Like, should we withhold some of these things from them so that, so that we could build some of those things in their character? And okay, so we should do that. All right, now how do we do it? I mean, wh- when do we do it? And in what ways do we do it? And then how do we teach behind doing it so that they know why we're doing it? All that, it's very complicated and very difficult. But what I want you to grasp right now, moms and dads, because I think you can, I think you can understand it very well, is that feeling that you have towards your children when they're not being grateful. Knowing all that you do for them, right? And you're, and you're pulling your hair out. You're racking your brain on how to get, get them to get it, right? You know that feeling that I'm talking about? How do we get them to get it? That feeling that you have. I think the Lord, Lord said to me, you know, Daryl, um, I feel that way a lot, a lot of times when I look down on you. So there, there's your other lesson. We're all the children in this, in this story. We're part of the ten. And as children of God, we've been, we've been immensely blessed, have we not? Um, maybe it's because we focus on just the, the small portion that is our life right now, and, and, and the authority above us is not giving us everything we wanted out of this life. That one above us who's supposed to be blessing us and giving us what we want, He's not doing it in every way we want. We don't like that. You see how we can very easily become the little kids in this situation? The ungrateful deviants that we find in our own households. God, I think, laughs and says, Hey, well, what do you think I'm dealing with here? What do you think I'm dealing with? Grown kid. And I say, Lord, you're dealing, you're dealing with me. A big, a big ungrateful kid who thinks I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to get whatever, have whatever. I get mad when things go wrong. God, do you not, do you not love me? Why? Why am I not blessed like that guy? Why don't I have a new Chevy Silverado like that guy? And you can plug in your own thoughts right now. All right, for your own sake. We don't, like, we, don't like, we don't like the bad parts, do we? Let me give you a passage, Romans 8.28. Many of you could quote it for me. We use it a lot when the tough days come, don't we? It's a good verse. We use it to help us get through the fact that we don't always get the blessings that we expect to get. 
And the good pastor's answer is that we know that God causes all things. In, in the context there, the idea is, is that not just the good things, but if you've had a, if you've had a bad thing in your life and, and God's not giving you everything you want, even those bad things, all things, He works together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. And, and we stop right there. That's, that's the verse that we know and we use. When there are things that we don't like, we kind of satisfy ourselves by saying, okay, well, even those bad things He's going to use He's going to use for my benefit. And you see, there's probably, as I say it out loud, that's still a focus on us, isn't it? But look at the next verse, the next verse, verse 29. Following that, to those who are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? Look at what the purpose of God is for you in your life. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become, what is the word? Conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. What is God's purpose for us? In that he will take all the good and the bad and work it all together. What does he do that for? He does it for his purpose. Well, then what's his purpose? What, what is his purpose? Is God's job, was Jesus' life meant to be the one who meets all your needs? Is that, is that his purpose in our life? Is God just this cosmic genie? That if we rub him the right way, we'll get what we want? Is he just this giant heavenly gumball machine that we just keep pulling the lever on to get our blessings? No, Jesus was a carpenter. And he is shaping, conforming, sanding, hammering out, building something in you. And the fact that he can take all things, good, bad, and ugly, is a testimony to not just his glory, but to his purpose. In that he uses those things on purpose to build you into the likeness of Christ, the firstborn among many brethren. God, God's not a genie, he's a carpenter. That's what he's up to. And because he's doing that, there necessarily has to be some hammering. There necessarily has to be some twisting and some shaping, doesn't there? And so, grown-up kids, we would do well to remember and to be continuously grateful that even when we're not getting what we want from the authority above us, in all the ways we want, even when we open up our emails and we get those emails about our bills and even when you open up Facebook and everybody else is seeing, it seems like their life is going perfect, you know. Anybody have those days? Cameron and I were looking at Facebook the other day and we got friends in Vegas. We're like, why are we in Vegas? There's probably a few reasons, but other friends on their way to the beach. Why are we at the beach? Man, be careful, be careful. Satan uses a variety of schemes to cause us to sit back and say, what's up? Where's mine? And we focus on that short amount of time. And God said, what about glory and eternity that I got set up for you? Don't forget about that. But we've run off like the nine. We've run off. Taken our blessing and we've run off. And the next time we're to be seen is when we want more probably. Proverbs 30, one of my favorite Proverbs, it says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, Lord. Why does he ask? Why does he ask that God neither makes him poor nor rich? You know what he says? He says, 
God, if you make me poor, I'm going to be tempted to steal out of want. And I don't want to do that because it will dishonor your name. So, Lord, keep me from being poor. Give me, give me what I need. But don't give me too much. Is, there, is it possible that you could have too much? Is it possible we could give our kids too much? So you, you're following along here, right? We're figuring this out. The writer of the Proverbs knew it. The wisdom writer knew it. Don't give me too much either, Lord. Why? You know what he says? Because if you give me too much, I will be tempted to say, and this is evidence of what his heart would be. He knew it very well. Who is the Lord? And I will forget you, God. Get everything we want. Get everything we want. Get everything we want. It's automatic, isn't it? These things just come, right? What do you mean, Mom? You got a job, Dad? You got a job? I don't know. I just thought the milk just shows up in the refrigerator. Keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming. God? I don't know about God. It's just... It's just falling from heaven, I guess. Authority is gone. When that authority goes, there's no accountability to that guy either, is there? I'm entitled to this stuff. Thankfulness bonds families, strengthens friendships, unites communities. Thankfulness is the defense against materialism. It's the enemy of entitlement. Thankfulness is a cure for self-pity. It is given by the Spirit, modeled by the Son, honors the Father. It's born out of humility. It sustains faithfulness. It is a prerequisite for joy. It leads to generosity. It is the proper attitude towards life. It is the righteous condition of the believer's heart. And it is commanded by God because He is good and He knows what is best. He is a good Father and He knows how to give good gifts. I think He knows when to hold back too. Not because he doesn't want us to have the best, right? Because he knows what's best. Pray with me. Father, forgive us if uh, we've made you feel like you have been taken for granted. Father, forgive us for treating you more like a genie instead of a carpenter. We know you're working on our lives. Remind us of it daily. Lord, I pray that um, we grown-ups would be men and women who are grateful. Lord, I think there's, I think there's a principle here that is, um, that's one of those foundational and linchpin principles, even in the spiritual world, that if we could only become grateful. We would be great. Great in your eyes. And that's what we seek, Father. We seek to be conformed into the likeness of your Son. We seek to be the men and the women who you've called us to be. Make us great in all the right ways, Lord. Help us to learn to be grateful. Count our blessings day by day. The small and the big. Lord, don't let us be like those who, who walk away, take their blessing, and move on. We want to be the one who turns back with a loud voice, falls on our face, runs to your feet, and gives glory where glory is due. Lord, I think that uh, thankful husbands become good husbands. I think that thankful wives 
grateful wives become great wives. I think grateful children become great men and women, great future husbands and future wives. And Lord, we, we don't know how, how to do it day to day, so teach us, Father. Give us opportunities to teach the virtue of gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen.